Welcome to the Young Money Diet Podcast. And today among us, we have a very revered guest, Shanta Krishnasamy. She's an entrepreneur. She's an electronics engineer by trade. She has an MBA as well as she's an alumni from Harvard Business School, activator of, for CEO, and she's, she is the CEO of her latest venture, which is Forefront. So Shanta, we can't possibly do you justice of all the things you have going on in your life. So if I had to give you the floor to introduce yourself to our listeners, please go ahead. Uh, <clears throat> Hi, I, I'm Shanta. So people call me as Shanta. I love how they call me like that. And uh, I'm an electronics engineer. I was working as a data scientist, data engineer for 18 years across diverse industries and in multiple countries. Mm -hmm. Entrepreneurship is always my dream. And when I stepped into it, I realized it's such a daring journey and uh, you have to learn a lot than more more than what you're doing and so i went to harvard business school i wasn't they won't call us as alumni i think uh we i just it's a management credential i got from harvard business school that was a really tipping point in my life um and uh yeah so i failed a couple of uh, i failed in a couple of startups uh right now my startup is doing good i also uh like work with other startups as a cto nice. thank you so much for having me it's really great to be here yeah, no, thank you for coming on the platform. Before we get into the really deep discussions on your failed startups and entrepreneurship, we wanted to start with some quick rapid fire icebreaker questions. So Wasif and I and our listeners to get to know you on a little bit personal level. So sure. uh, you're very well traveled from uh, both yeah. your education and from your life, just in your different circumstances, bringing you to Canada. So in that time across your travels, if you could have a standing reservation at any restaurant, where would it be and why? I, it, it is in Sri Lanka. I forgot the uh, Ministry of Crabs. That is the place. All right. So if we're ever in Sri Lanka, we're going to have to try out Ministry of Crabs. Uh, <laughs> on that theme, so since you've been traveling all the time and, you know, airlines has been a big part of that travel, I would imagine. Do you have any hacks or like tips for surviving overnight flights or long layovers? Anything, anything comes to mind? Uh, so... We travel a lot. Like my daughter has been to, I guess, 26 countries. Um, so we travel quite a lot. So one other thing that um, my family and I, we do is like, we don't, as soon as we get done, we don't eat a whole chunk of food at the same time. If we're having like, uh, sometimes we have end up being 11 hour layover. Um, so what we do is uh, we eat a very little, we take a walk, we see what else we can, you know, uh, like we do window shopping. We are not a big, big time shopper. So we, we are minimalists, uh, but we take, a, we, we take a round, we take a stroll, we see what else we can eat. And so when you're eating, you're walking, the time kind of flies like this, right? Yeah. And uh, we love tasting different foods. And uh, that's one of the main reasons we travel a lot. Do you have a window shopping item that you can think of that you purchased that was a good find in one of the airports? Um, it was, uh, that's like, it, it was a sunglass. I kind of lost it though. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. Um, so speaking about your childhood and growing up, you mentioned you worked at your father's manufacturing shop that, and you certified and worked on different sump pumps. Was there a chore or a task that you had to do when you were young that you really dreaded or didn't like? 
uh, you know, when when you put a tool in an automatic or semi-automatic lathe, the debris kind of falls down, right? They are kind of an iron circles, steel circles. I have to pick them up and I hate to pick them up because I can't hold it in two hands and I can't finish the chore quicker. By the time my brother would have finished like 10 other chores and my dad would be checking like, why is still laying there? Like, you know, I can't pick it up and it hurts me. It pokes into my fingers. Um, so, and I can't dump it into one, uh, one bin because they are so bushy like this, like, uh, you know, like a rolling weed uh, made out of uh, iron or steel, right? It's sharp too, uh, sure. Yeah, I hate the chores. I hate it. <laughs> we're not going to talk about the sub pumps anymore we're going to stay clear of that we're going to start with uh so i know we're you're a big yoga enthusiast right so i uh, a lot of us kind of see the physical benefits of staying flexible hopefully a lot of people see the potential life longevity by doing yoga but could you have an elevator pitch as to the mental benefits of having some of the meditative effects of yoga as well could you speak to that sure yeah i uh, so on a side hustle uh like uh, as a passion, as a volunteering, I teach yoga and I facilitate mindfulness. Um, like I have been, I have taught at uh, Kennedy and Force Base uh, for military families mm-hmm. um, and uh, for families around that neighborhood. I have taught at uh, disabled, um, like s- special children and uh, senior citizenships at schools. So one of the thing that is really, I would love, I would generally recommend people to try yoga it does not have to be a very authentic mat kind of yoga yoga doesn't start with yoga mat yoga starts with your body so a simple thing is like do a simple stretch um, use your co- uh, props properly like the props like walls uh, your chair um, so these are the things would benefit a lot in keeping your body range of motion. I wouldn't call it that as flexibility. It's about a range of motion, like making sure that, you know, it's just like this or like this, like uh, mm-hmm. making your range of motion improve every single day. So you are kind of keeping yourself away uh, from a certain kind of diseases when you're growing up. Right. And uh, like also, like I always tell my people when I'm teaching yoga is like, uh, re- like when you see a meat, like either a, a either like a ham or beef or 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 mutton or or lamb or anything, right? Mm-hmm. When you see a meat, and if you kind of take that meat a little bit away from the bone or a tendon, you will see a kind of a fat growing into it. And we call it as fascia. Like the fascia is like not fat; it's like a web. Uh, it's kind of a very transparent layer. The more that web builds into your muscles, your muscles get so rigid. And uh, so there's a story like when they were doing an autopsy for a woman uh, on her thighs, the knife broke because that fascia like solidifies your muscles. And that's how you are your range of motion is completely breaking down, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, daily stretching is very important and you don't need yoga mat. Don't go into all those commercial yoga styles. Uh, just daily stretching, getting off the bed, uh, simple exercises when you're getting off of the chair uh, is really good for your body. Fantastic. Awesome, thank you. And last rapid fire question. Uh, since you know the nature of your work, I don't think we can neglect to ask, what's your favorite application on your phone and why? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's that's a very interesting question. Like, uh, what do I use on my phone? 
uh, WhatsApp, um, why? Okay. Uh, these days I would also say Signal. WhatsApp is because it helps me communicate back home very quickly. And I don't feel like I'm too much away from them, particularly uh, in the recent days, I'm like doing a lot of work uh, that is based out of India and so back home. And so WhatsApp keeps me connected, keeps me together. And I don't feel like the distance is really a, really a barrier. And uh, sometimes the WhatsApp is also uh, very easy in terms of you don't have to worry about security, somebody getting into the, your messages, hacking it. Mm-hmm. But I know those are not going to be permanent, but yeah. I, I like that. So you were almost uniquely qualified to be in this COVID pandemic world even before it came to be because you were just <laughs> used to that world in some ways. Um, all right. So we're going to kind of shift the gears into some more of your uh, like thematic topics that we want to get into with you. So I re- we recalled in all your LinkedIn pages, you actually listed all of your failed startups in there and you kind of mentioned that sometimes you may have to leave a good idea for a lack of capital, will, or resource. So I just want to see like, how do you know when it's time to walk away from a good idea? Because it, it is your brainchild. At the end of the day, every entrepreneur, I would think, is somewhat sentimentally attached to the ideas that they come up with. So how do you know it's a time to walk away and try something new? So this is where the principle of yoga come into play, right? Don't be so much attached to your baby. Um, so the principle of mindfulness, sorry. So you have to be detached from, from something that you're more attached to it. Um, so that's the principle of startup that I feel and a lot of my mentors have taught me is like, it is your baby. It does not mean that it's somebody else's baby too. But you, how are you making money out of your baby? Somebody else have to use it. Uh, so why are you making that baby then? Uh, because there is a problem that somebody needs it. So are you selling it for somebody? Or are you selling your baby? So that is, that's a very difference in a startup world. If you're trying to sell your baby, you may not make money out of it. You may not find a uh, right customer for it. But if you're selling your product for somebody who needs it and you're selling it from their perspective, why they want it, what benefits they are getting out of it, then you are able to scale it faster. So that majority of the time, uh, all of the startup entrepreneurs or 90% of the startup entrepreneurs who are budding out of you know, that eight to, eight, to, eight to five job cycle yeah. They come in to, they come in with the mentality like oh I created something and then I really love this people are going to love it. You loved it but that doesn't mean people will love it. So it is it is such a thin line and it is also like staying detached from it and you're say, staying so close to your customer to understand whether that is really the product they want. And uh, one of my mentors told me like you can create product for two reasons. One is like you can have a painkiller or you can have a vitamin. Um, if you're building a painkiller, then it is going to be sold very quick. If you're, you're forgetting a pain, if you're building a painkiller, we have to see whether that painkiller is needed, right? Not always that is needed. People might like, like push it later. Um, so in that case, your startup may not be as successful. So for talking about painkillers and vitamins, for those, your venture you, you started earlier uh, with the shared yoga space studios, uh, you mentioned that it, it took off, you know, you look at Airbnb and I know a lot of photographers and filmmakers are now using that as an outlet. So talking about your failed startup, was that something iteratively that you learned through the process that 
this uh, might be a good painkiller, but it's not taking off in the market or it might not be scalable? Is that something that you had to make a decisive decision through one one period or was it kind of an iterative process where you eventually had to find for yourself that it wasn't scalable and you wanted to move on so as i was a yoga teacher at the time like i kind of took break now because of uh, because of a longer schedule these days so when i was teaching yoga the one thing i realized is a lot of instructors were looking for a space to start uh, a yoga studio by themselves because they are they weren't paid well uh, when they were teaching for other yoga studios and also the payment is based on per customer right so they're doing a lot of work to bring a little money back home so there was a big pain point there and so i thought that adoptive reuse of uh, your dance studios will solve two problems one is like the yoga instructors would make a little more money from what they are getting right now. And the second thing is studios can rent it out when they are not running the studios for dance sessions. And most of the time they are locked, like they're not making money out of it and they're paying a lot of rent. So it is, it is like give and take. I know you would have seen like the current ecosystem has changed a lot about win-win, like your two-sided marketplace, win-win and all those things. Right. So, so yoga studios don't have to build expensive studio, don't have to pay a lot of rent, don't have to pay a lot of overheads. They use it as they want it. They pay only for that time and then they move on. Dance studios need to have a yoga studio, uh, need to have a studio, but they are not running the dance sessions all the time and then they can make money when they are not doing it. So there was a two-sided fit here. But when I started, the dance studios were very interested because they are at a situation need to bring in more cash flow to meet that meet their um, meet their expenses. Of course. But yoga studios, for some reason, it is like reconditioning, right? I call that as reconditioning because people sometimes uh, are not ready to recondition what has been already set in the society. Sure. Um. So. Oh, running a yoga and a dance studio. What if uh, the lights go off in a wrong time? What if uh, my my clients are restricted uh, to go to the to put their shoes in a certain place? Like they had too many questions, and those questions were like, I have to try it out. I have to bring a potential early customers into it and try it out, and then do a lot of uh, like a case study or testimonials. I realized that that it's not worth for it because I'm getting like $2 per hour and do I have to do that? And uh, so there is a pain for one side of the market. There is only a vitamin for the other side of market. So I thought I can't do it anymore. No, I appreciate it. That was a, that was a few quotable moments there for sure. So um, I want to know, because your current venture that you're leading at the moment is, uh, is Forefront. So over time, we were talking about the failed businesses. So I could kind of want you to talk about what was different about Forefront, because you mentioned that it's, it's working well, it's successful. Was it the fact that the timing was right this time? Was it the fact that you had dynamic experience and lessons learned from previous experiences that you were bringing on? What was the magic formula or success behind this one so one thing when i like i strongly suggest any entrepreneur is like don't spend a lot of money when you are basically building a minimum viable product and you're testing out testing it out whether the customer is going to buy it 
like don't spend a lot of money there's a lot of things that you can cobble it together to build it mm-hmm. so that was one of the main reasons why i stayed in this space for three years and uh, the first three years was like i am trying out on an iterative cycle because my goal is to take my company to public i, I know the, the the term ipo has been has been rapidly descriptive these years but uh, those years were like when i started i public is something a dream for me i like that is where i thought my exit strategy would be right so when i every morning when i get up and when i think about forefront i was getting paid clients one or two and i was making some revenue but but behind uh, all of those things my concern was like i can't take this to public because it's not sustainable it's not scalable mm-hmm. so when you're getting one customer who is a paying customer and who wanted to use your product and that doesn't mean that it is scalable so that scalability is something you can visualize in your business how soon a, a customer can walk into your business and how long they can stay in your business so that scalability and sustainability if it is missing i generally ask people to sit and pivot Mm-hmm. um so pivot this to be blindly pivot no it pivot is something like you are listening to a lot of customers so that is um rather than building your product first take your idea and talk to people talk to people uh, talk to as many people as you can but don't talk to random people talk to the people who have this problem talk to people who are aware about this problem and talk to the people who are aware and who are looking for solution and talk to the people who are aware looking for solution and so doing some diy so those are the people who are going to buy your product that is something i uh, i learned uh, after two and a half years uh, pretty much after three years from lindsay lady engineer she's she's super amazing she run the pre-seed lab for product market fit and i have never i have been to a lot of accelerator programs but there is nothing more similar to that so they kind of pragmatically teach you that product market fit um they kind of make it like hands on experience so that is very very important and that is also something that i would say like find the uh, like when you're looking for mentors when you're looking for accelerator programs make sure that they are not asking for money make sure they are not charging you per hour basis those are the way you kind of get ripped off very soon and then in the end you would feel like i have not achieved anything but i have lost so much money from my savings so that those are the things like i i strongly believe in like make sure your idea has gone into a validation phase it passed out of validation phase you have a handful of customer that who is ready to walk with you the same talk you're talking the same walk you're walking right um then it's time for you to go and build a mvp and then when you have this mvp then you can bring in like two times more handful of the customers then it's time for you to go and build the product so that is when you should be spending a lot of money so it it sounds like i know last time we spoke too and it's it very complements what you're saying with um going out and finding your customers first 
uh, Katrina Cole, Kat Cole from yeah. Cinnabon is a good example of, you know, how she went uh, to every different Cinnabon store to talk to the customers to ask, how do we make this product better? How can we improve this experience? And yeah. it sounds like that's what uh, the learning was for you with Forefront over the last three years was to really figure out, is this a painkiller? Is this a vitamin? And uh, how can I improve the business model? And how can I improve the actual uh, offering of, of the clients? Mm -hmm. So is that something, you know, you mentioned pivoting. Is that something you've had to do with, with Forefront specifically um, many different times? Or is it kind of gradual as you've learned from your previous ventures? You knew um, that you would have to go out and, and seek your customers first. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I pivoted 28 times, uh, but do I have to pivot 28 times? It depends on the learning cycle, right? Each person have a different learning cycle. Like I have, I have certain problems that's coming as an immigrant, uh, as an immigrant woman or an immigrant entrepreneur is yeah. like, I can't speak confidently at certain places. I can't, uh, certain places I can't understand um, a Canadian joke. And if that joke has some message for me when I am having a conversation with entrepreneur, I can't understand it. Uh, so like those are the times like I take a lot of time to synthesize it and take it back to the business. So it is about simplifying what you're talking. And that, that is very difficult for a technologist starting a business. If you have this business acumen skills and you're starting business, for you, selling would be a very easy process or, or, or a, you know, a, a, it's, it's a kind of a moderately easy process. For some people, it's kind of a piece of cake. But if you're a technologist and you are throwing a lot of jargon words into what you're talking, you will kind of quickly uh, kind of, you know, lose all your energy because people are not going to understand. And you feel what you're saying is right, but the other end, the customers who are maybe potentially your customers may not understand what you're talking. Um, so Kate Cole is my, my most favorite uh, entrepreneur in that, in that cycle, right? So she, she wasn't rushing to show something uh, in, in, in a performance wise. She wasn't not rushing to show a big cash flow improvement and on her business when they when they when they appointed her. Mm -hmm. She was just sitting there every single day for one month, walking to all the malls, talking to every single customer and asking the same question. That is a rule of thumb. You ask the same question. When you're asking the same question, some of the questions you might skip when you're talking to somebody because you know that they are kind of moving forward, um, they're moving fast in your cycle, research interviews. But then when you're asking same questions, you can draw patterns. And when, when you're drawing patterns, you can always go back and talk to them when, you are, when you're scaling. And you also know that uh, when, the, when, when an X happens, uh, does the Y happen or does a Z happen? You understand the consequences and impacts. So... Yes, it's a tough time uh, and it takes a lot of time to do that, but it is rather done now rather, like, rather than doing it later. Um, because when you're doing it later, you have spent a lot of time, a lot of money. Maybe you have a full-time team and uh, at that time, your overheads are much higher and then you can really go back and do all those things. You're supposed to be uh, doing it at the early stage. So talk to a customer as much as you can and have this really good spirit. Like, for example, when now I'm building a one-pager, 
and I am talking to potential customers in San Francisco and New York, all over North America. And I have these videos recorded from all of these people when they're reading that one pager. It needs a lot of courage for you to go and listen to those videos because they are kind of ripping you apart from top to bottom. Like, what is meant by this? What is meant by this? Why is this here? Like, this doesn't make any sense. But I have, I might have put like thousand hours on it already, like thinking through it because it's an art. Entrepreneurship is more like an art, understanding the customer and bringing your customer onto that, uh, onto that platform, right? So have the courage that all that pays you really really well that, uh, that's all I, I i can say so the more you keep your idea to yourself and more you kind of presume or you kind of like it, entrepreneurship is about assumptions and hypothesis right when you're not testing it you're not testing your assumptions um if you're not testing your assumptions when your product is built and you spend like so much money it is still an assumption it's not a success mm-hmm. um I wanted to follow up with, uh, you mentioned going to Harvard and that was a pivotal moment for you. The, the skills and the network that you, you built when you went to Boston, is that, um, I guess what, my question is, what, what were your big key takeaways that really helped you build this humility and this momentum? I, honestly speaking, um, I lost that. I, I really lost that opportunity because I didn't have to go to Boston to study, um, but I had to go to Boston every year when they run this alumni meet or a network program. It's not alumni meet. I might have to correct it again. So it's a network program. Uh, So every time I kind of say I'm not going because I'm an introvert. I, I struggle a lot to go and talk to people And I always kind of lose that confidence that I'm not keeping them uh, interesting to listen to me. I'm not talking um, in a more understanding way. And, um, and I'm, not, I'm not able to understand their language. As I said, I, I, like an immigrant person. So because of that, I lost lots and lots of opportunity to network. So whoever I networked through the program are the people who came on board for Forefront. But whoever I did not network or whoever I just talked through, talked to them through Facebook and through forums, I mean, I know all of them very well. They're all, we are all very, very tightly connected, but I am not, I did not initiate that conversation. I did not build that connection. I did not build that, you know, a connection that they can remember all the time. So because um, for introverts, introverts, entrepreneurs, it's, it's a little more tougher journey than, than, than for a normal people, than for an extrovert. Extrovert. Everybody are normal, yeah. <laughs> I guess so. No, there's so many things you touched on and I want to get even more into, but a couple of the things that stood out, I want to summarize one that you said, entrepreneurship was uh, as, as much as art as it is a science. So the science part of it is Cat Cole going out there, repeating the same questions and driving the data and pattern. And the art side is, is, you know, the idea, the innovation, the generation, that kind of things. But with respect to something you mentioned about learning cycle and everyone having their individual learning cycle, and hopefully I'll call it like an individual superpower. The fact that you had you know, the sump pump experience an industrial shop experience growing up, working for your father, did that ever kindle your entrepreneurial spirit? Like, were you always, like, were you always an innately entrepreneurial person that you knew this is something you always wanted to do, or was that a learned trait over time? Over time. 
I always want to be an entrepreneur. I still remember when I was going to grade three, when I was going to grade eight, uh, it was always my dream. But I always um, wasn't very confident stepping into that space. So a little bit about my past is like when I finished my engineering, my dad gave me um, about $2,000 at that time. It's, it's, so, it's, it's so much money. <laughs> he gave me $2,000 and said, you're going to start a business. Um, I said, nope, I'm not doing this. And uh, he said, why? I've trained you all these years. Uh, that's why I'm not doing it. <laughs> right? Uh, he was so mad at me. And then he said, okay, you have to go do master's in engineering and you get into professor or you're good at speaking, so you get there. I said, no, I'm not doing that either. Uh, so he stopped talking to me. He, he's, he's a military dad. And uh, if you're not listening to him, the consequences is much bigger. <laughs> um, so he stopped talking to me and I was like, nope, I'm doing what I feel right. So that is that I, I appreciate what I did. And I appreciate, I also appreciate uh, what my dad did. But there's pros and cons on either side. You can start entrepreneur at a young age, and that is really big advantage. And you get to fail a lot of times. You get to learn, and you are still not losing time, and you're not losing. Um, you still have time to grow, right? The time is very inevitable. But when you're starting entrepreneurship at the age of 40, there's, there's an another advantage that you don't get it at a young age. It's like experience, like working with a lot of people knowing how things are done and knowing having a conversation in a simple skills that you built during this and uh, experience time is something is going to be a huge asset when you're doing when you're starting entrepreneurship so the survey says that uh, 68% or something is a success rate when your company started at the age when you are at the age of 40 and above because you're bringing in a lot of experience into the business and maturity, and you're kind of bringing in the composition of like, yes, things can go bad, but I am kind of relentlessly going to work on this, right? I'm going to talk to people. I'm not going to be shy of asking help. Um, so those are the, you know, those are, those are the wisdoms you learn when you're building experience, which you don't get during the engage. But when you're, but on the other side, some people are naturally uh, really good at communicating and they have this naturally built soft skills. So those are the young people who might shine and who are, does shine a lot at the young age when they're doing that entrepreneurship at, a, at an young age or at an early age. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like there's pros and cons always, but um, it, it is all about how you are how you are kind of maneuvering through it right yeah it's funny you read my mind because i was going to ask about balancing and there's no right or wrong answer about balancing starting an entrepreneurship or a business um when you're young or when you're a little bit older and there's so many things to contemplate like i i look at yourself uh with a master's and mba as well um some of the softer skills you probably learned through that experience and some of the wisdom and the network that you built is so um, intangible, um, right? That, that it helps you now with your venture that you've started with, with your failed ventures and now Forefront. Um, what would you say to young individuals that are, are really balancing credentials versus going and just, just trying and failing? Because for me personally, I've seen even entry-level jobs now, they're looking for 
uh, soft computer science undergrad, sometimes even a master's, and they want to see that you've already started your own startup. Um, so I guess what's your what are your thoughts or what's your advice for the young individuals that are balancing that? So for young individuals, I would I would I would definitely suggest them or consider ask them to consider learning and applying at at an early age. So what you're learning doesn't mean it, it is already um, applicable, right? I, I know the education system are amazing. I'm not talking about that, but what you're learning in academia, try to apply it at the early age or at the early times. So your learning has to be in such a way that the transition percentage is higher. No, no, no. Sorry, that's my. Uh... Oh, Hello, can you hear yeah. us? Sorry yeah, about, yeah. about that. Yeah, <laughs> no worries. Uh, so, you can learn so many things, but if you can apply it in your life, or you can take it and you know convert that and make it make it applicable in somebody's life, then that learning is not useful. Th- that is my that is my policy. Like that's my rule of thumb in learning. When you're learning, it's not about your learning to get grades. It's not about learning to get graduated. It's about why are you learning? Like everything starts with that little why. Right. Um, so like as Simon says, right? Everything, everything you're doing in your life is an entrepreneur journey. Not starting a company and taking it is an entrepreneur journey. That trajectory is not entrepreneur journey. In your life, every single thing you're doing, going to school, so taking your school is like 12 years of journey, right? Um, on an average. With that 12 years, it's an entrepreneurship journey. If you are just taking your bags and going to school and coming back and doing your assignments and graduating, then you have not put efforts beyond that. Um, so everything you do is an entrepreneurial journey. If you look from that mindset, then you are making your learning cycle optimized every time you're hitting a barrier. You're not looking like, oh, my grades are B now. I have to get into Y. But why do you need to get into Y? Like, why? Mm-hmm. That why you need to ask, right? Um, so what is your exit, exit strategy when you are having that school journey? What is your exit strategy when you're having that university journey? Like everywhere there's an entrepreneur life that you can definitely uh, adopt into your process. But are you doing it? Are you are monotonously doing it because you're conditioned to do it because society is doing it, right? So that is what I, like both my husband and I, that's, that's, that's how we disrupted the entire parental journey. We told my daughter, like, why you want to go to school? Like, you define that. If you're just going to school because everybody are going to school, then don't go to school, right? <laughs> right. What an awesome parent. <laughs> um, so she comes and tells us sometimes, like, I got A, I got B, B, and I got sometimes C, right? Or I got D, I don't care. Uh, but we are kind of more composed, like, oh, you got a D? Okay, why did you get a D? Like, where are the places that you can bridge? If she got A, okay, did, did you really do it well? Like, you know, so marks and graduation is not a, is not a tool to measure where you are at. Um, how soon are you learning and taking that and transitioning into application is what the measurement that I believe education and, uh, and experience should be. And there's also other thing like in software development world, 
um, like to be honest, at full closure, software development is majorly dependent on Google's search stack overflow and Reddit and all those things, right? We're all helping each other to you know, rap, build rapid solutions for businesses. But it is like Netflix. If you wanted to go sit in front of a Netflix and you wanted to watch a romantic movie, you end up watching a horror movie because there's so much movie on that platform and you're searching, searching, searching. You're searching for an yeah. hour. Yeah. And then you end up just choosing something because you have to spend the rest of the time. So that is, that is how like people, when you get into searching platform, just kind of a whirlpool, I, ca I call that as, like you soon forget why you got into the platform, what were you searching for? And you end up like, there's so many other things coming into it. So that is the same way education. People start with a why, and then that why kind of disrupting because you're looking at somebody else and you are like envisioning to be like them, but you forget what you want it to be. And that's the same thing, the entrepreneurship journey too. Like every time when people are starting an entrepreneur journey, there's one depression that happens all the time. It's like, I want to be like this company. I want to be like this entrepreneur. And then you soon forget why you started this journey. So you have to stop doing that. And that is sub, such a big learning lesson I got this three years. It drains your energy very quick when you every time see that you weren't able to reach out to that success. It's not that you weren't able to reach out. You simply weren't able to understand what your customer wants. Yeah. No, no, I, uh, we, we understand. Like, it's really appreciated. It's a couple of things I wanted to flag is uh, the Simon's Why Talk. We'll leave a link to that. It's Start With Why. It's in the TED Talk. We'll, we'll definitely do that. Um, and also, we want to leave your, uh, we, if someone wanted to connect with you, we'll make sure your LinkedIn profile is also available in the links. So yeah. if anyone wanted to connect with you that way, I would imagine that's a, that's a preferred option. But uh, Shanta, we learned so many things from this chat. It was, a, it was an awesome thing. I wanted to get into even more topics, but yeah. we, we might have to schedule a follow-up at some point. But in some ways, we, we, want, we wanted to just give you a thanks and appreciation for coming on, teaching so many things to us specifically and even hopefully our listeners. So with that in mind and our catchphrase right here, Shanta, please remember to stay hungry. Stay humble. Thank you very much. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks a lot.